This is Your Working Life, a podcast with tools, inspiration, and resources to help you enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Whitney Johnson to the show. Whitney will talk about strategies every leader can use to build a winning team. Whitney, I am so delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Caroline, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I have followed your career and read your books and heard you speak many times, but I'm particularly excited about your new book called Build an A-Team, Play to Their Strengths and Lead Them Up the Learning Curve. And I want to talk really, really candidly about the secret to having an engaged and productive team. I think all the leaders out there are simultaneously nodding their heads saying, yes, yes, I want this. So Take us back to the beginning. Where do we even start? Well, we start with the idea that um, everyone's on a learning curve, including you. And so when we understand that, we understand that we're all learning machines. We want to not know how to do something, figure it out, master it, and start all over again. It's much easier for us to have a team that's engaged by understanding, okay, so if I know that everyone on my team is on a learning curve, and then I can understand where they are on their learning curve, I can manage them accordingly, and that will allow for maximum engagement. And I appreciate that you said everybody, including the leader, is on a learning curve. So how do you how do you assess where they are? It's a great question. Um, so what I'd love for you to do is picture an S in your mind, this, this idea of a learning curve. And there are a number of different ways you can assess where people are on their current S curve of learning. So at the low end, um, some markers of being at the low end or the launch point of the curve are they've just started a new role. They've been in this role for less than six months. Um, they have lots of questions. They're um, wondering how to do this. You need to give them tightly scoped assignments. There are lots of days where they go home from work thinking, why did I take on this role? And you're wondering, why did I put them in this role? Because you're feeling a little bit impatient. Because at the low end of that S, in a, lot of, a lot of time passes and it looks like very little is happening. So that's how you know when someone's on the launch point of the curve. It could be someone at the beginning of their career, but it could be a brand new role, a brand new CEO. It's just a matter of you're in this place. It's like this puzzle of, you know, jigsaw puzzle of a thousand pieces. You've thrown them all out. You don't yet know how they fit together. That's what the launch point of the curve looks like. Um, You know, someone's in the sweet spot of their S curve, if that steep, sleek back of that S curve, where they've been in role, usually at least a year, but not more than three or four years, where they know enough, but not too much. It's hard, but not too hard, easy, but not too easy. All of their neurons are firing. They're very capable. They're very competent. You're able to throw lots of things at them and they're able to figure it out and take it on. And this is the usually that place where people say, yeah, this is exactly where I should be. And as a manager looking at them thinking, oh, they're doing great. I'll just leave them be when in fact they need you to continue to stretch them and push them so that they stay in that sweet spot as long as possible. I'm really grateful that you said that because I think that that constant or at least frequent check-in is so important because often leaders let the high achievers and those that are doing seemingly well go, right? And do your own thing. And ignoring them is problematic. 
Absolutely. And so one of the, there are two things I always recommend for people when you're managing someone on the steep part of the curve is to continue to push them. Sometimes when we have people who are in the sweet spot, we think of them as high potentials, high performers, and we stop pushing them because we're afraid that they'll underperform. But in fact, if we continue to push them, their confidence will continue to grow. And then it's really important to say thank you and to acknowledge and appreciate the good that work that they're doing so that they don't become a flight risk. Um, and then just quickly, the top of the curve to, to finish out the thinking in threes, the way you know a person's there is you think about it's now flattened out where they've been in role at least three years, maybe four years, and they know they're, they're very, very good at what they do. People rely on them. They go to them. They ask them for a question. They ask them questions, but they're now at a place where they're not learning quite as much as they were. <clears throat> they're not getting the dopamine hits that come with learning. And so they're slightly bored. And at this point, <clears throat> as a manager, what you want to do is say, all right, I need to either make it possible for them to jump to the bottom of a new S curve to learn now leap and then repeat, or I need to find a way to stretch them further so that they can slide back into the steep part and stay there as long as possible. So that's how you know where people are on the launch point, the sweet spot or the high end, and then some quick tips on how to manage people depending on where they are on the S curve. You know, it's a great illustration with the S-curve. I, in, in my career coaching practice and, and leadership practice, I hear from a lot of frustrated leaders who get pushback from HR. And I don't want to vilify HR. HR has, has a great use in organizations. But often people feel confined to that job description. And I think what I'm hearing, and I'd love to get your take, is that a, a creative leader says, let's be flexible, let's be nimble, and let's design the job in a fluid way that it really honors the growth and development of each person. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that you can do when you onboard someone, and and again, HR has their systems in place, and so it's not a matter of going to HR and saying, you need to change everything, because that's not how change typically happens. It happens on the fringes and bubbles up. But with every person that you onboard, you can say to them, okay, you're on an S-curve. Um, right now, my best guess is that you're on the launch point of the curve. Typically, that it will take you two, three, maybe four years to get to get to the top of the S-curve. What we know is at the low end, you're going to feel a little bit discouraged, but then you're going to move into the sweet spot, <clears throat> et cetera, et cetera. So let's figure out a plan for you to get to that sweet spot as quickly as possible. And when you get to the top of that S-curve, we will then also have a plan for what you will do next because... I believe you are going to be a very high performer. You're going to have lots of momentum. We want you to be here for a very long time. And the only way I know to keep you is to allow for you to disrupt yourself over and over again. And we do that by honoring that S-curve. And when you get to the top of that S-curve, we find a new S-curve for you to jump to. I love it. And I'm grateful for the term disruptive in, in, a, in a positive way. So do you see in your experience with this methodology that it really does lead to better morale and higher performance? Absolutely. So let me give you a couple of examples. Um, one, we're working with a, a growth stage company and um, the the CIO said he, you know, he sat down with a person on his team, real high performer, and showed him the S curve. And when he showed him the S curve, the person said, oh, okay, 
I get it now. It's not that I don't love working here. It's not that I don't love you as my boss, but I now know that I'm at the top of my S curve. So I'm feeling like I don't like working here, but that's actually not the case. What I now know from the neuroscience is that I'm just getting slightly bored. And so I love that you're going to, we're going to have this conversation to figure out something new for me to do. Give me some ways to stretch in the role that I'm in so that we can extend out the curve that I'm on because I do want to continue working for you. And I do want to continue working here. And so it gives people a tool to be able to manage and, and engage around their own career, but also it gives a manager a language and framework to operate in as they're um, working with the people that, that work um, for them. And, and you believe, you write in the book, that this really needs to be outlined in the hiring process or the onboarding process. So walk us through that, because I imagine as a prospective new employee in XYZ organization, this would be really exciting to contemplate as, as I began a new role, for example. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things you you can do and we highly recommend is that you sit down and you say to them, all right, so here's the S curve. Right now on our team, um, we've got, you know, 70% of our people in the steep part of the curve. We ideally want 15% of our people at the high end and 15% of our people on the launch point because that's how we're going to get the most innovation. But what we're finding right now is that we have um, more people um, at the launch point and not enough people at the high end of that S curve. And so I'm bringing you on to be at the high end of the S curve. And what that means is that you're going to know exactly what you're doing. We're really going to rely on you. But it also means that within about a year, you're going to be, you figured things out, you know how to navigate throughout the organization. People have gotten their questions answered. You're going to be slightly bored. And so what we'll want to do is want to figure out a plan for you to jump to a new S curve. And let me give you a great example of this. Patrick Chet, who we had interviewed for our podcast a couple years ago. He was the CFO at Google. Eric Schmidt wanted to hire him and he said, Patrick, I've got a problem. If I hire you as a CFO, because he'd been the CFO at Bell Canada, in about six months, you're going to be bored. So let's make a deal. When you get bored, when you basically get to the top of your S curve, come to me, tell me you're bored. I'll give you something new to do. And then we'll have you jump to new S curve. And so he did that every six to nine months, you know, figured something out, had him jump to a new curve, didn't add, didn't jump to a new role, but just gave him new responsibilities and assignments that allowed him to continue to feel stretched within that role. So that's a conversation that you can have right from the hiring, um, right from, from the get-go in hiring. Such a brilliant technique because it really mitigates flight risk. It mitigates retention. And again, this here's this extraordinary talent that you want to capitalize on, but give them something new because they're hungry, right? And, and they want something challenging. Absolutely. So we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. So Whitney, you detail seven specific ways that managers can support and accelerate their employees' movement up the learning curve in the book. 
give us a couple, give us some insight, a glimpse into that, a little bit of an appetite wetter for the book. Yes, absolutely. So it's this goes to, so I've got one framework, which is the S-curve of learning framework that we've been talking about. And then the second framework is the framework of personal disruption and seven accelerants that allow people and, and things that they can do and ways of being that allow them to move up that S-curve more quickly. One that I'll mention is playing to your distinctive strengths. So not only to play to your strengths, but to, to play to what you do distinctively well. And a great example of that is the koala. The koala is that, you know, cuddly little animal that um, actually sleeps up to 20 hours a day. So you're like, huh, how does that koala survive? Well, it survives because it eats something that no other animal eats, which are eucalyptus leaves. And so the, the challenge in an organization is how do you help people find what their strengths are, and then play to their strengths. And and the reason this is a challenge is, number one, people struggle to know what their strengths are. So one suggestion that I make to people to understand what your strengths are is to listen to the compliments that you receive. We tend to deflect compliments really quickly, like before they're even out, out of a person's mouth. We've forgotten it. But those compliments are people telling you this is your genius. And so when you write that down, you start to have a sense of here's what I do well. So that's one tip. The second tip is to recognize that because it's very easy for you, it's reflexive. It's it's very tempting to think it's not actually valuable because how could it be valuable if it's easy? And so one of the ways that you move up the curve is to not only recognize what you do well, but to figure out a way to own it and be willing to play to it. And it doesn't mean you don't have stretch assignments, but you have stretch assignments within the vicinity of the strengths that you have. And then the third tip that I would give is that what we know from the neuroscience is that wherever you have a lot of neurons and a lot of interconnections in your brain, you can have a lot more. And so if you want to be a truly high growth individual to move up that S curve of learning quickly, you will play to your strengths because you're going to, it's a lot easier for you to have a lot more neurons where you already do something well. So number one, listen to compliments, those clues that you get, Remember that that thing that's reflexively easy for you, just because it's easy for you doesn't mean it's easy for everyone else. And number three, um, recognize that wherever you are strong, it's easier to get stronger faster. And when you put those three things together, you are going to be able to move up your S-curve learning much, much more quickly. Excellent. So I'm I'm flipping this in that I'm sure all the leaders listening are saying, great, I get this. This is a wonderful opportunity for me to implement this on my team. But what about the colleague out there listening who says, gosh, I wish my leader, my manager would subscribe to this wonderful philosophy. How do you as a team member introduce this to your boss? Yeah, it's a great question. And what's funny about this, Caroline, is that oftentimes the team members are the ones that are reluctant. So let me tell you a quick story. Um, so anybody who watches American football will know, be able to see coaches talking to each other and they've got these headsets and the technology's advanced significantly over the last couple of years. Um, but only because a boss, Michelle McKenna Doyle, who is the CIO at the NFL, was willing to identify and then get John Cave on her team to play to his strengths. So she joins the NFL. She looks around, sees, you know, some of the people on my team, they're not actually in roles that are best suited their, to their strengths. John was in charge of enterprise systems. And she looked at him and she's like, you know what? He's actually really good at building things. I want him to go out and build things and advance the game of football through technology. So she says, John, let's have you do this. And he 
he resisted. He didn't want to do it because he felt like the scope of his role was getting shrunk, that he was going to have less responsibility and somehow it was a demotion. So she said to him, John, you know, you're going to be an innovator, great innovator. I want you to trust me. And it turns out he, out he is. So what I would say to the people that are listening to this is that when your boss gives you an assignment and you think you don't want to do it, ask yourself, are they really not valuing me because they're giving me something to do that's that's easy for me? Or are they in fact saying, I do value you, I do see your strengths, and I'm going to push you within the vicinity of those strengths. So I again, you flipped it, but I would flip it back that we tend to be very reluctant to actually do things that play to what we do uniquely and idiosyncratically well. Well said. You know, I, I also appreciate, after reading the book, the, the message that we all want opportunities to learn and expand and advance in our, draw, in our jobs, but we don't always think about how we can experiment and do something differently and stretch ourselves and, and grow those strengths. And I'm hearing you give everyone listening permission to try something new, to, to innovate and, and think in that design thinking term of, of trial and error and iteration. Is that, is that fair? Absolutely. And a couple of thoughts there I would say is as, because I suspect a number of your listeners are like, yeah, I do want to try stuff, but my boss might not let me. So one of the things that you can do is go to your boss and say, you know, there's this thing that I want to try. I think there's like a 70% chance that it's going to work, but there's a 30% chance it may not. So what if we tried this and what if we scoped it out with a, a budget that seems ridiculously small, with a time frame that seems ridiculously short? Tell me what that has to look like. So it's, there's an allowable failure here. Give me those constraints, happy to work within them. I will come up with some type of minimum viable product or experiment. And let's see what information we get. And once we do that, then let's see see if it makes sense to continue. And I think, I know from my own experience in corporate America, we tend to want to be like, I want to do this big thing and you're not letting me do this big thing. When in fact, our bosses have their own constraints and their own bosses. And if we're willing to scope it tightly enough and say, how small does it have to be for you to be able to say yes right now? And what information do you need in order for you to say yes again in two weeks? I think that will get us the permission that we want and need in order to try things. And when we say it might not work, you can say, but we'll learn X, Y, and Z. So, so you've really framed it in a way that your boss then can frame it and then sell it and get the buy-in from the boss's boss. I like it. You know, I think one of the constants in our world of work globally is is change. That's really clear. Certainly, mergers and acquisitions are still happening rapidly. Uh, new companies are starting up and growing and innovating and developing. So there's a lot of uncertainty in the world of work. And that's not a bad thing, but it is a, a reality. So how might you overlay this philosophy in uncertain times to give people the confidence that this could really impact? Our great work and great engagement on teams. Yeah, so it always the fundamental unit of disruption is the individual. And what I have found is that yes, things are a changing, um, and yes, there is uncertainty. But I've also found and just, and really believe very, very kind of most convicted place in my soul is that when we are willing to disrupt ourselves, when we are willing to. Um, you know, not just want to be an agent of disruption, but to be the subject of change and disruption ourselves, then we have the um, the fortitude, the wherewithal, the capacity, the interest, um, 
the ability to weather any sort of change. And in fact, not just weather it, but seize on it and to, and to ride it in a really powerful and exciting way. So my, my advice to everybody who is listening is to continue to do what Caroline advises you to do, which is to, in my words, disrupt yourself, because as you're willing to do that, you will be capable of taking on any change that comes at you. Whitney Johnson, thank you for joining me today on Your Working Life. I learned a lot from you, as I always do. So excited to speak with you about how to build and nurture thriving teams. And I want to tell our global audience about your book. It's called Build an A-Team, Play to Their Strengths and Lead Them Up the Learning Curve. And of course, it's available on Amazon and major book retailers. And I hope all of you will check it out. Whitney, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having me, Caroline. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new people find us online. And let us know what career-minded issues you would like to hear on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.